Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. With Fidelity Wealth Management, a dedicated advisor can work with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential. Plus, you'll have access to specialists in estate planning strategies. So you're not just growing and protecting your wealth. You're sharing it. More at fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimums apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Welcome to the Jill on Money show. It's Saturday, January 29th. And this weekend, we have a great interview for you. We have an economist, but one that speaks English. I like those kinds. His name is Guy Berger. He is the principal economist at LinkedIn. And I recently interviewed him to try to get a sense of what exactly is going on in the labor market. You know, we've heard so much about this thing called the great great resignation. But I think that Guy has a different view of this. He doesn't think that this is the best way to describe it, that in fact, it's not the great resignation. It's really something like the great reshuffling. And of course, we'll talk about working remotely versus in the office and what happens in that scenario and how do bosses handle it? How do you handle it? So this is just part one. And of course, I encourage you, if you are thinking about changing jobs or careers, send us a note, jillonmoney.com, click the contact button. Okay, here's our interview with Guy Berger. I'm so psyched to talk about this um, because we're talking about the great resignation. We're talking about the labor market. We're talking about the economy. Let's take a big picture look. Uh, We're coming out of 2020 and 2021, two really weird years. Talk a little bit about how you saw the labor market change over the course of the last two and a half years. What what is really going on? Big picture, 20,000 miles up in the air. I think if you think back on the 20 teens, you know, the period after the 2008, 2000 recession, a lot of what people remember is just it took a really long time to Mm. dig out of a big hole. Um, You know, unemployment was elevated for a long time. Wage growth was really weak. I think, you know, when COVID hit and the economy contracted very sharply in the spring of 2020, people and unemployment spiked and lots of people lost their jobs. People worried, man, are we headed for another round of that? And that just didn't happen. Um, We've had a really fast. I mean, it's not complete, but we had a very fast recovery in the labor market. Um, The share of Americans of prime working age who have a job. We basically closed a bigger gap than we had, you know, after the Great Recession in much faster time. It took us less than two years to get back to where it took us about 10 years. Um, and on top of that, we talk about labor market, you know, pay growth, which is sort of the, the big disappointment of last expansion has been, at least in dollar terms, has been really fast. And particularly fast, I think, for, for a lot of people to think of as generally lower paid workers. So I think in a lot of respects, this just feels very different. I agree with you. It it's, feels weird, given what we've historically been used to in the last, you know, decade, two decades. All things considered, despite everything else that's going on in the world that's not necessarily more challenging, this part is good news. To what do you attribute the rapid recovery? Is it the pan- the nature of the of a pandemic recession, or is it the government response, or is it yes to both of those? I think it's probably 
a mix. I think there is, you know, another economist, Claudia Sam, had this great description way at the beginning of the pandemic, because she described the pandemic kind of as a category five hurricane that was sitting, except it was sitting over the entire country. And generally, when you look at natural disasters, things tend to recover pretty quickly. Part of this is sort of a recovery from natural disaster. But on top of that, I mean, what is what are natural disasters noteworthy? The government responds pretty aggressively, like rebuilding money. Mm experts flow in from other parts of the country or other parts of the world when it's an international. And I think like the government response, both in terms of fiscal policy, monetary policy, was so aggressive in a way that we have not experienced in the past. And I think that made a big difference in allowing us to close that gap so fast. And from the, so from the perspective of, you know, whether it was the, the, the stimulus checks or the expanded employment or the paycheck protection program, all these things, you know, at this point are politically controversial. And I won't touch on that, but just in terms of how did they collectively drive a better impact than you would have seen in their absence? Absolutely. So I want to get into a little bit of the dynamic of the labor force, um, where we are now, almost exactly two years after um, COVID began. So in February of 2020, the unemployment rate in the United States was three and a half percent. Did that mask something else going on in the labor market? Was it not quite as good as, as that indicated or was it that good? Well, I think first thing, I don't want to dismiss what the labor market looked like in, you know, right before COVID hit. It was in the best shape, I think, that that we'd seen probably in like maybe 20 years. I don't think it was perfect. And I think it's the same thing now. We think of 3.9%. I don't think like this is sort of like as good as it can get. On top of that, I think this is what's interesting. There are other parts of the labor market that I would expect to see when I'm playing where it's a lot lower than 3.9%. Things like job postings are, you know, off the charts right now. Hiring and quit rates that we see from the government data are way higher than we saw at a comparable point in the last expansion. So like people are just switching jobs much more. We see in our data too, when we look at transition LinkedIn data, looking at transitioning people ending old jobs and starting new ones, it's not just that they're higher than a year ago, which is not surprising given how much the economy recovered, but they're higher than two years ago. And I think that's pretty remarkable. It just shows in some respects, the job market actually looks stronger than it did you know, before COVID. And I think that's interesting. And I think from the perspective of workers, people that are looking for jobs, especially people without college degrees and people in lower paid jobs, they might actually feel like they're, at least in terms of pay and opportunities out there and how hungry employers are to hire them, they might actually think this is potentially better than it was. Now, here's my question to you. Is it fair to say that a lot of the people who were in crappy, low paying jobs are now able to say, hey, you know what? I don't have to work over a friolator to have inconsistent hours, no benefits when I could go work in a warehouse and get paid 21 bucks an hour, get a bonus for signing on and get health care. Did a lot of those leisure and hospitality jobs reshuffle into other areas? And is there a way to track that? I think that's totally right. If you look at two of the categories that have the fastest pay growth right now, leisure and hospitality, people, non-supervisory workers in that industry, their pay has gone up by almost 16% over hmm. the past year. That's amazing. That's like, you know, for all the talk about, you know, inflation being elevated, that's more than twice the rate of CPI. Pay growth in, in, in transportation warehousing, which sort of the proposed like recipient sector is also, I mean, it's not quite as high, but it's also at 8% year over year in terms of average hourly earnings. So like these are both sectors that are just trying to like compete over a, what seems to be right now to that to employers, an overly small pool of workers. If, if I had to sort of draw a phenomena that, that, that like links these things together, 
The leisure and hospitality sector experienced a very severe contraction in spring 2020. The workers there weren't going to, I mean, some of them probably did want to wait until it came back, but a lot of them were, you know, they didn't know how long this would go on. They needed cash flow and they just left. Is it is coming back an appealing prospect if they switch industries mm-hmm. or jobs? Maybe not. You know, pays grow, growing outside that sector, hiring that sector relative to the before COVID times up some like 40%, higher than any other industry. The industry is smaller. So it is trying to hire like crazy through the mechanism of wage growth, but it's almost running to stand still because it experienced so much competition for those same workers. I mean, if you're in the, in that sector and you're working there, again, I don't, these workers are still relative, many of them are still relatively low paid, but you have way more bargaining power than you had in 2020. So let's talk a little bit about the um, that that shift where, you know, amid the great reshuffle that people are clearly saying, I've got a little leverage here. Yep. So people seem to actually believe this finally, which is mm-hmm. good because I, I feel like that's been happening for a while. That's a positive outcome. How do you see people using that leverage? Are they are they using the leverage to say to their boss, hey, guy, I've been working for you for eight years. I've gotten, da, 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 da. you know, I look around, I go onto uh, LinkedIn. I've had a lot of opportunities. Uh, pay me more. So are people extracting more money from their current employers or are they using that leverage to actually move to a different industry, move to a different area, anything like that? How is the leverage being used by workers right now? And I know this is broad, so maybe we can talk about it in the um, the lower wage, middle and higher wage workers. Well, I think it's a mix. So the first thing is, I think that, that people are kind of pushing their employers to give them or employers feel like they have to give them more pay, sometimes more generous benefits. I mean, sometimes you hear about the, like, let's call it the, the, what seems like a little bit of like a fun things like pet health insurance. But like a lot of times it's like much more, you know, garden variety, like better hours, more control over your time, et cetera. And then some things that sort of we haven't thought as mass benefits that I think are probably more available to people with college degrees, but also to some degree more and more, you know, more than the past to go without college degrees, like remote work and hybrid work. I think you are see- I mean, again, it depends. It is hard to be a leisure and hospitality worker or a retail worker, or a restaurant worker, you know, a manufacturing worker that works remotely. But I think there are other industries where there are low paying workers where there is some access to that. And so I, and I think we've seen that increase a lot in job postings in our data. But on top of that, even in like role, like roles that we haven't thought of as traditionally as college educated, again, it's not as prevalent. So I don't want to paint mm-hmm. this picture that like everybody that's without a college degree is going to be working remote, but they have more access to it. They did. As far as are they getting it by leaving their jobs versus bargaining with their old jobs? I mean, there's always the case that pay growth for people that switch jobs is higher than for people that are almost always the case for people that stay in their jobs. That's the nature of it. You, for whatever reason, people find it easier to strike a new bargain that's more favorable with a, with a new manager, with a new company than with the old one. And so that's what's driving it. But implicitly, it also creates better conditions for like that feedback cycle generates better conditions for people coming in and also to some degree for people that are staying put. I mean, people that are staying put are also getting bigger pay increases than did in the past. There's just this big virtuous cycle that favors workers are switching, workers are staying, workers that are coming in that, again, we have not really experienced in a long time. I know you're an economist, but put your boss hat on. you got some group. You have a group that you manage, right? Yep. Okay. So talk about how you feel like business leaders and managers are doing 
trying to juggle the idea of come back to the office, don't come back to the office. What's the right mix that is that you're hearing about and that like you find? I mean, it's hard to manage people remotely. That's what I'm hearing. When I talk to a lot of folks, they have a very tough time. It's quite onerous, frankly, than, you know, saying everyone get into the conference room, we're going to bang out some ideas. So how do you manage that? And um, and maybe what tips can you give to those folks who are either managing people and communicating with their staff about this is a somewhat uncertain time, but like in general, where we are right now? Well, I guess let's take a big picture here. The first thing is we are seeing like, you know, if you think about things, remote roles, they're much more common in our data than, than they used to be. On top of that, we're seeing like things like hybrid show up more. So clearly employers, those that can um, and are willing are kind of reaching out to that because they realize it's like a benefit that a lot, not all, but a lot of workers do want. It has advantages, by the way. Like if you think about being able to hire, you know, it used to be that it, that you can now live someplace that doesn't have a corporate headquarters and that has potentially a big impact. I mean, it, it's not, it, it, it's going to have all sorts of unpredictable results because it's not necessarily like, it's going to sort of change, you know, real, slice the pie a little bit in terms of where jobs exist. I don't think we yet know what the shakeout is. Austin is doing, was doing, and Denver were doing really well. And before the pandemic, they're still doing really well. That's the picture of what's happening. I think that the first thing is it's hard, but we also like think about the last few decades, more than that, of how work has changed. It changed a lot. I mean, how hard was it to convince a bunch of people from, that were formerly farmers to work in factories, <laughs> um, you know, in the 19th century? For that matter, more recently, if you think about it, like the biggest transformation, economic transformation of the second half of the 20th century is China. So I think like on the scale of transformations, my opinion is there have been bigger ones. And I think if, if those things were figured out, um, we will be able to figure this out, too. I think there needs to be a lot of patience about figuring out what the right balance is. I actually think in some respects, hybrid might be more complex than remote because in all remote team, like it's not, I mean, it wasn't super common before the pandemic, but it's existed. And like, there's sort of probably playbooks that are associated with it. Whereas a team that has people that are remote in the office, like how do you ensure that these workers are, are treated equitably? These are all things that I think we're all going to be, you know, as part of this great reshuffle, we talk just about people switching jobs, but it's also about us kind of continuing to experiment with these new models and seeing what works. I think workers, the fact that workers value these things and to some extent that, you know, they're willing to trade off. I mean, they do want more pay, but like, you know, that they're going to say, you know what, I have this one person offer me like a huge raise, but no remote or no hybrid. And I can get a big raise, not quite as big, but I can have those options. Like workers clearly value this stuff. It seemed to me that there was this oh, everyone's got to get back into the office because our productivity is suffering. And I'm like, where's the research that's showing that? There is no way they knew what their productivity was before. In other words, you were sitting in the office. You and I are in the office, right? I'm at LinkedIn. You came in from the West Coast. We're at LinkedIn. And I'm like, oh, I want to come to LinkedIn. I go down to the Empire State Building. We go have coffees. And we hang out and we kibitz for an hour about nothing. Am I productive just because I've been in the office? So what is the evidence that productivity dips when we are remote or is there? Well, I think there's been a lot of studies weighing on this in lots of ways. And I think like the truth is, let's actually be upfront about something very important, which is we are in like very early days of this experiment. You know, there's some evidence in like a paper based on Microsoft or, you know, parent company Microsoft's data on like how people adjust and some conclusion there's maybe that was a hit to efficiency. I guess I'm curious how long that lasts. People adapt. Again, like, you know, it's one thing to to like figure things out on the fly. 
you don't really know how to use things optimally and things don't work out and you're actually maybe a little less productive. And your kids are home from school. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things going on. I think like is, is, is the question is, if that continues for 10 years, are all those productivity hits likely to persist? No, because it's going to be adaptation. So again, is it possible this is like a slight dragon aggregate? That's also, I think, potentially true. It's hard. I think it's just really hard right now to tell what the long run impact is. Again, like things change. I mean, I always think about the story. This is like an analogy, but like you always hear the story about elect- when electricity was first discovered and started bringing it to factories. You know, it didn't boost like the productivity of factories very much because they essentially didn't know how to, to like, they just didn't know, really know how to use it. And then what happens is once like uh, you start building factories around what electricity can do versus prior forms of energy, then that's when the productivity gains start. Or like my joke is always like type computers, we had word processors back in like the 80s or whenever they came up. If you think of a computer just as a, as a electric or digital typewriter, Sure. It's like, there's some improvement. You don't have to use the whiteout. I'm old enough to remember when you had to like to, to, you know, do that. I hated typewriters, but you know, I think that the, like the big gains that came from computers, once you started to think about other things they could do that typewriters couldn't do at all. And I think that's sort of it with the remote work we are going to figure out in remote and hybrid work too. I mean, is it going to be hard? Is it going to be trial and error for sure. In 10 years, will we have these things way more figured out and smooth than now? I have no doubt about it. Well, thanks so much for listening. We'll have the second part of this interview with Guy Berger, the principal economist at LinkedIn. He'll be back tomorrow. And we're going to talk about an issue that a lot of you guys have been asking about. So tune in tomorrow. As always, we are very grateful that you join us every single day. Try to do something nice for someone else today. Grit, growth, grace. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.